Hey there. Ever feel like you just need a break from the day-to-day of work, put on that out of office and be alongside peers learning from fellow nonprofits and industry experts on what they see working when it comes to fundraising, marketing, growing a monthly giving program, retention, everything that encompasses what you do? Well, if so, I have two events for you to mark down. June 4th and 5th is Donor Perfect's Community Conference Spark. It is for any fundraiser wanting to excel in donor management, program innovation, community engagement, and organizational growth, and it is free. So click the link in the show notes to register. And then an event that I have attended three years in a row is the NEO Summit, combining practical, actionable, and very data-informed content with also this really electric and immersive atmosphere. The NEO Summit is more than just a conference. It is a really fun and great place to get away from your desk and innovate your fundraising and accelerate your impact. So you can join hundreds of your fellow nonprofit professionals in Indianapolis in September on the 18th and 19th. And you can save $600 on your ticket right here. It is the lowest price available anywhere. So click the link in the show notes for both of these events. They are incredible. They put on an incredible speaker presentation, all tons of great resources for you. Invest in yourself and the growth of your organization by attending these two phenomenal events. Lots of people are touched by organ donation. There's over 100,000 people in the United States waiting for a life-saving transplant. And so many of those people and their family members are searching things like, what is it like to wait for a transplant? Or how do you share your story about organ donation? So we've shifted our strategy a little bit where we're trying to focus more on those general topics that the general public might be searching for. But we still sprinkle in some of our soda news in our blog, but we're trying to make that shift so that we're more, again, easily found on Google search. Hey there, you're listening to the Missions to Movements podcast, and I'm your host, Dana Snyder, digital strategist for nonprofits and founder and CEO of Positive Equation. This show highlights the digital strategies of organizations making a positive impact in the world. Ready to learn the latest trends, actionable tips, and the real stories from behind the feed? Let's transform your mission into a movement. Hello, hello, everybody. We're back with another episode of the Missions to Movements podcast. And this is a really fun one because I get quite a lot of pitches that come through my email. And there's ones that stand out. And today's guest, Nicole, definitely stood out when she came to me specifically talking about SEO and the incredible work that she's done. And so immediately I said, yes, it took a while to get a schedule because we were going through all of the maternity leave and coming back and figuring out coordinating schedules. But I'm very excited to welcome Nicole to the show. Nicole, thank you for being a listener and thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited for our conversation today. Yes. And Nicole is the program director at, do you call it SODA or S-O-D-A? How do you normally... We say SODA. Okay, perfect. That's SODA, which is Student Organ Donation Advocates. And I think what's really cool about the program is it kind of reminds me of my story and how I started in philanthropy through doing a dance marathon in college with Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. So I love your journey with SODA and from being involved in college, very similar to kind of how I started. And now you're 
their first paid employee. Can you explain, give everybody an understanding, what is Soda and how did that like evolution happen with your career? Yeah. So SOTA stands for Student Organ Donation Advocates. And our mission is to inspire and support student-led organ donation advocacy on high school, college, and graduate school campuses. And what that means in practice is we have 50 chapters on high school, college, and graduate school campuses across the U.S. that plan events to promote organ donation. Our national nonprofit provides those students with free resources like mentorship, event funding, supplies, and how-to guides so that advocacy is easy for the students. Since 2014, the year that SOTA was founded, our students have educated over 77,000 people about organ, eye, and tissue donation and registered nearly 6,000 people as organ donors, which is super important because there are over 100,000 people in America right now waiting for a life-saving transplant. Wow, that's incredible. How did you first hear about the organization? Were you a college student? Yes, exactly. Our stories are very, very similar. Sarah Miller, who's our president and founder, founded SOTA in 2014 at Washington University in St. Louis. She is a donor sister. So her sister saved the life of a special education teacher through organ donation in 2009. And like many donor families, Sarah was very passionate about the cause after experiencing the power of organ donation as a donor family. And when she went to college, she was looking for a way to advocate on campus, but there wasn't really any structure already existing to advocate for organ donation. So she created that structure with two other students. And I was a year behind her in school. So she founded Soda as a freshman, and then I was a freshman a year later. And my first few weeks on campus, the Soda chapter was hosting an event. At the event, I met Sarah and I heard her story. I didn't realize how important organ donation was for creating donor families. I only knew how it saved lives. But Sarah's story really sparked a passion in me. And organ donation became the cause I cared about. So I was part of my sort of chapter all throughout college until I graduated in 2019. In 2019, I started a career in nonprofits right out of college, and I was really lucky because my first employer invested in me. They enrolled me in a five-day course all about fundraising, and that sparked an interest in me again. I wanted to apply that knowledge and become a leader in nonprofits, but it was kind of hard to do it in that current role because it was an entry-level role. Other people were doing the big stuff, obviously. Big stuff happening at all levels. Don't discount that. That's true. (laughs) That is true. But there were some things I just wasn't able to do in that role that I wanted to stretch my wings a little bit. Yeah. Experience. So I reached out back to Sarah because Soda was front of mind for me because it made such a big impact throughout college to me personally. And I experienced organ donation firsthand personally by the time I graduated up to this point. So Sarah was focused on expanding SODA to other campuses because SODA just became an official 50C, 501c3 nonprofit at the beginning of 2020. And I reached out in like June of 2020. And I told her I wanted to help her fundraise, which was perfect timing because she really hadn't fundraised before. So her and I worked together to build the fundraising program at SODA from the bottom up. And we raised enough money to bring on the first full-time employee. I wanted to be that first full-time employee because I was doing so much as a 10-hour-per-week volunteer, and I knew I could do so much more with 40 hours per week full-time. So I was really happy to know that Sarah wanted me to be the first full-time employee, too. And I've been in this role for two full years now. 
That's amazing. That's incredible. It is literally so parallel in our tracks because when I learned about Children's Miracle Network Hospitals and I did Dance Marathon for three years, uh, yeah, three years in college, I applied for a national job at their office and went and interviewed. And I was down to the final two. I didn't end up getting the job as a regional dance marathon manager, but it all worked out as it was supposed to. And I became actually really good friends with the other person who was applying for the job in the process because we were there at the same time, which is kind of funny to look back actually at that experience. But I love that. I want to go back to a part of that story that I think is so important about how you were drawn to the organization. How did you hear about that event on campus? So Washington University in St. Louis, they host a bunch of different events for freshmen like their first few weeks on campus, primarily to connect them to the city of St. Louis and know what other causes are out there so that they can get involved throughout their college career. And at the time, I thought I wanted to go to medical school. So when I saw an event being hosted that talked about organ donation, mm. it was actually a tour of a surgical suite because the organ donation organization, like the regional one here in St. Louis has a surgical suite at their offices and they were doing a tour. The some chapter was doing a tour of the surgical suites. I was like all bought in. I was like, I want to see a surgical suite. I want to go to medical school. So that'd be yeah. my interest. But it turned out something different once I was there. Organ donation became my focus instead. I love that. That is so powerful for listeners. If you have, I'm just thinking of this, I guess, on the marketing fundraising angle. If you have a way to immerse yourself in the college experience for students, I think it's such an important phase where we, right, we were learning about philanthropy. We were figuring out what we wanted to do in the world. And I always say like to this day, Children's Miracle Network has those balloons at Publix and Costco and IHOP and all these different partnerships that they have. And I will always donate to the organization from then until now, right? And I always want to support the Dance Marathon program at my university. And so if there's a way that your organization can tap into colleges and have like a student that's passionate about the organization and startup groups like this, I think it's a great way to amplify your mission in the work that you do. So I want to jump into kind of what you emailed me about, and that was SEO, which I think is amazing. And we haven't talked a lot about on the podcast, actually. And you mentioned that SEO has really generated a lot of traffic for Soda. And it's resulted in a third of all of your student leads that have come in. And that's incredible. So at the very like basic level, will you explain what is SEO? SEO stands for search engine optimization. And in practice, what that really looks like is deciding on a few keywords that somebody might be searching for and then using those keywords frequently on your website so that if somebody searches those phrases, your organization and your website is at the top of the search results on Google. So important. Thank you for that definition and understanding. And I like how you say like in practice what this means. That is totally what this show is about is tactical information. Did you know about SEO before you started or how did you become knowledgeable about it? Before I was in this role, I knew about it a little bit, but I never actually had done it. I will really put the kudos to Sarah, our founder and current board president, because she made sure this was a priority from the very beginning when Soda began expanding nationally. So I didn't put my knowledge about SEO into practice until I was here at Soda. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. And I think that's so important. We're always learning on the job and figuring out what makes sense to invest our time and energy into. What did Soda have, I'm assuming, does most of the SEO 
and the leads come from a blog that you have, or is it overall the entire website? It's both. It's all our entire website, but where it mostly gets happened or done and on the most frequent basis on our blog, because we try to post twice monthly blogs that feature those keywords. Okay. Is there a certain length that you've learned works well? I would say nothing particularly. We try to keep it relatively short so it can be read in a few minutes, but they vary depending on the topic. We've had longer blogs and shorter blogs, but that like 500 words or about a page and a half okay. usually works well. So when you're thinking through keywords, how do you do that research that guides you on what keywords to use and what blog topics you think people will click on and find interest? Yeah. So I want to preface this conversation by saying our strategy is not impressive technology wise. The reason why I think it's so important and why the audience should learn about it sort of strategy is because it's very approachable and easily managed by a small Love team. It. So that's we what we're all about. To, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's nice to hear another like minded organization doing something that you can adopt. And that's really what I think the audience is going to take away from this. But we didn't really do any formal research about keywords. We kind of just thought, hey, what would a student be searching if they wanted to find us? And so we thought of a few keywords like organ donation, organ donation nonprofit, or organ donation high school. And we just try to repeat those phrases again and again across our blog and across our websites. And I know you had a second part of that question. I'm forgetting now what the second part of that question was. Oh, no, I'll get the topics. So how do you come up with like what you're going to write about in your blog? So... At the very beginning, we would post a lot of blogs about internal news about soda, but people aren't searching for internal news about soda. So we got the advice to make sure that our blog topics were applicable to the general public. And lots of people are touched by organ donation. Like I said, there's over 100,000 people in the United States waiting for life-saving transplant. And so many of those people and their family members are searching things like, what is it like to wait for a transplant? Mm. Or how do you share your story about organ donation? So we shift our strategy a little bit where we're trying to focus more on those general topics that the general public might be searching for, but we still sprinkle in some of our soda news in our blog, but we're trying to make that shift so that we're more, again, easily found on Google search. Yes. And I love that. And that's so important when we think about SEO and right, that's driven. We're looking for topics on that people are going to be searching for on Google SEO therefore ranks your blog post to the top as basically an answer to a question. And then on Google side, the more people that are clicking on your link and spending time on that page is telling Google, okay, this is a quality response to this question that somebody had. So therefore I'm going to continue to push that to the top of Google ranking results. So it's not only if you decide to write about something, but is it a quality piece of content that people are spending time on, which I think is amazing. So I'm just looking through your blog right now, and I think it'd be fascinating for people to go take a look. But the one that you just mentioned, this is what it's like waiting for a transplant is a great post, right? And it looks like, do you have different writers? Who writes your content? We have 
full-time staff. So it's me and one other person who's full-time on Soda. And then we leverage part-time contractors who work about five hours per week for Soda. And we have a contributing writer and editor on our team who works about five hours per week for Soda. And her name is Zoe. So it's mostly her responsibility to write those blogs. Every once in a while, we'll have a guest writer, but she is publishing the majority of them for us. Amazing. And so how far in advance, like how does the structure of... I'm getting into the nitty gritty a little bit. So you do two blog posts a month. How far in advance are you planning those? How are they published? How does that work? We have a running list of possible topics in our Google Drive, like just an Excel sheet. And so we will work from there. So we have a really long running list. And I tell her some of the priorities or what things need to be published faster. So they can be planned months and months in advance. But sometimes it feels like we're working at very quickly when we meet somebody who we want to share their story and we want to interview them quickly. So sometimes it's like two week turnaround. Sometimes it's a few months that those topics have been on our list and on our radar until they're published. Awesome. That's amazing. I love to hear this. The other thing that I wanted to bring up that was really interesting that you mentioned was that you have 50 chapters now, which is incredible. That's amazing. Automation wise, because you mentioned you're a small team, you're the first paid employee, but I'm sure a lot of people listening can resonate to this. And scaling and that quickly is incredible. And having automation is really important when you're a small team. Where have you guys been intentional with the automation efforts for these supporting the 50 chapters and hiring of support to help you? So we just reached our 50 chapter milestone in September of 2022. And at that same time, we made a goal for ourselves. Thank you. We made a goal for ourselves and we want to double and have a hundred chapters by the end of 2025. And so scaling is top of mind recently as we think of how we're going to get to that goal. And one thing that is concerning to us is our budget. (laughs) Even though we want to double our programming, we don't want to double our budget. And we can't do much about like chapter supplies costs because those are going to grow regardless. But one thing we decided we can be lean about is staffing. And we rely on automations and part-time support to make sure that our staffing costs are lean. So for automations, we use Zapier to set up those automations. And we uh, try to implement as many automations as possible so that those simple repetitive tasks can be done automatically by technology versus manually. So an example of that would be anytime a student goes onto our website and submits a form to tell us they're interested in starting us at a chapter, their contact information is automatically updated in our customer relationship manager and emails are drafted to them about with more information on how to start us at a chapter. So that's done automatically. In the past, we've done that manually. And Sophia, our student engagement coordinator, or other full-time staff member had to do that all manually. And that was taking hours and hours every single week because it's a lot of work. But now we have it done manually. And so hours are being saved every single week thanks to automations. That's awesome. And I wanted to ask, what are the tools that you use as your CRM and your email provider? Yeah, so we use HubSpot for our CRM. And it's not made for nonprofits, but we found that it's really helpful to manage our chapters since we have so much chapter data. We have to manage 
if they're active or if they folded or if they're in the application process. So it's really helpful to manage that. For our email, HubSpot is kind of built into that as well, but we use Gmail to manage our daily inboxes. Got it. Okay. Understood. No, that's awesome. So that's extremely important for automation. And I think that's very important too, from the standpoint of the person getting a fast response. We don't want to fill out a form and then not hear anything forever. And we're like, what form did I fill out? Like, I don't even remember doing that because of our lizard brains, like going off and being so busy on other things. And then hiring of support. So when you look to think about doubling essentially your efforts with a small team, what are those important roles that are crucial to you guys? Zoe is one of our part-time contractors who works about five hours per week for soda. And we have about three other people on our team who serve in similar roles. When we think of who is going to be your next part-time contractor, it's kind of thinking of like, how are we going to save the full-time staff members some time? So for example, we are having a finance contractor come onto our team and he is going to help us manage our QuickBooks because I do that right now and it's not my favorite task. So I was more than happy to say goodbye to it and pass it along to somebody else. So that kind of guides her principle in terms of who we're going to be hiring next and for part-time help. I love how you distinguish that as what can we take off of a full-time person's plate? And especially if it's not not your jam. Like I know finances is not mine either. When I was doing my QuickBooks, I would spend hours and hours and hours just because I didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) And that's not good where I was having to like always ask QuickBooks support for help or watch a bunch of YouTube tutorial videos. That is time not well spent for me. So I hired a fractional CFO, which has made a game changer and a bookkeeper that does all of that for me and having an accountant. And those are things that they are experts in that realm and absolutely should hire off for that. So I love that example. I want to dive into a section called We Must Know. And I, as I started off at the beginning, thank you for being a listener of this podcast and for sending me an email reaching out about this case study because I think it's awesome that you guys have been able to grow your chapters and have a bunch of student leads coming in through your blog content, through SEO. And I wanted to ask you, what are you reading or what other podcasts are you listening to for fun or professional development? I'm a big listener to audiobooks and podcasts so that I can multitask with whatever I'm doing. So personally, I just finished listening to Pushinka, which is a book. And the book was about a family who immigrated from Japan-occupied Korea to Japan. And it was a very powerful story about overcoming challenges. There's actually an Apple TV series about the book. So I'm excited to dive into that now and would highly recommend anybody check out the book. And in terms of podcasts, one of my favorite things to listen to is the podcast, How I Built This. And yes, me it's too. kind of oddball for a nonprofit leader to like learn things from because it's about big for-profit brands. No, but it's also relevant. I totally agree. Yeah. There are tons of different episodes for anybody who's not familiar about like Crate and Barrel or Culver's. So you can learn about a brand that you really love and use on a daily basis. But the episode I listened to most recently was about Alamo Draft House, which is a chain of movie theaters. 
And the founders founded their first movie theater a few years out of college. And they were very honest in the episode about how they didn't always know what they were doing or have a strategy. And being a young leader, I feel like I'm making things up sometimes. Um, but knowing <laughs> that, but knowing that other people have felt similarly, but experienced success is very hopeful and promising to me. So I love that one. Yes. No, it's so good. Look, Nicole, we're all making it up. We're all figuring it out. Listener, let us know if you agree. <laughs> Send me a yeah, DM. Sure. What are you trying to figure out right now? I always love to ask that question and shoot me a note on Instagram or on LinkedIn to let me know and see if I can send you some resources your way. Nicole, I wanted to wrap this conversation up with asking you my favorite question. And that's, what do you need help or support on right now? If anybody listening knows a student who's interested in a medical career or interested in sharing their passion for organ, eye, and tissue donation, please let them know about SODA. We would love to help them save lives and your help in helping us reach our 100 chapter goal by 2025. Yes, I love it. Is there a list somewhere of all of the schools that you're in? Yes. If you go to sodanational.org slash students and scroll to the bottom of the webpage, you'll see a chapter map where you can see all the schools that we're at. Okay. Amazing. Perfect. And Nicole, where can listeners connect with you? If you're looking to get connected with me personally, search my name on LinkedIn, or you can send me an email at Nicole at sodanational.org. If you're looking to learn more about our organization, check us out on Instagram at sodanational or go to our website, sodanational.org. Beautiful. Nicole, thank you so much for being here today. And thank you for the, all the work that you're doing with Soda. Thank you so much. Can you tell I love talking all things digital? To make this show better, I'd be so grateful for your feedback. Leave a review, take a screenshot of this episode, share it on Instagram stories and tag positive equation with one E so I can reshare and connect with you.